to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's very nice to be with you this morning. I've got a question for you. What is the deepest part of the sea? How deep is the deepest part of the sea? Any idea? What's that? Indeed, indeed. But, uh, but yes, you've, you've preempted one of my illustrations. <laughs> so, yeah, the Mariana Trench. Uh, as, as many of you will know, uh, which lies between Japan in the north and Australia in the south. In fact, it's just above Papua New Guinea. It's a big trench, and it's 11 kilometers or 7 miles uh, deep. And you could indeed dump Everest into that trench, and you wouldn't be able to detect that it was there. And if you then went looking for Everest that you just dumped into the trench, you would have to dive down for about a kilometre, at which point it would be completely dark, and then you'd have to carry on for a further kilometre before you'd get anywhere near it. Down there is a dark, deep, scary, lonely place. And this morning we're looking at Psalm 130, Psalm 130 describes a situation. The writer is someone who finds themselves in the depths. And we're not told any details about what these particular depths are. And I think that's intentional, uh, so that this song uh, can be sung by people in all sorts of situations. But whatever we're talking about, it's a situation that's dark and scary. And the imagery often used in the Old Testament would bring to mind for the people of the time the depths of the sea, uh, a dark, for them, very unfamiliar place, a scary place, a place of being lost, a place of being in despair. And you, you only have to look at the news, tune into the news to, uh, to see people who are in the depths. That poor family of Nicola Bully, who, whose body was eventually found in the river, uh, I think it was the day after the body was found, they, they, uh, they were asking for comment from the family. And, and they said, we have no words. We have no words. And that's what it's like in the depths, isn't it? We have no words. And Psalm 130 is written for people who are in situations like that, uh, in places where words fail and are, repeat, are replaced by cries of anguish. Maybe you've been in a place like that. Maybe you're in a place like that at the moment. The person who is in the depths in this psalm cries out to the Lord. They have a sense that they're not alone 
that it's worth crying out. And uh, it's not just a sort of vague help, it's, it's a targeted cry, um, and it's directed to the Lord. And it's interesting to note that in this short uh, psalm, there are eight verses, and there are eight occasions on which the Lord is mentioned. And that is who the psalmist is waiting for. He's crying out and hoping uh, for the Lord. Calling someone Lord, of course, suggests submission and obedience. And it's only possible to sing this psalm with real meaning if that is your relationship with God. He is your Lord. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 6:46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It's really important to remember the connection between obedience and sacrifice on the one hand and addressing God as Lord on the other. If we call him Lord in the good times and treat him as such, it will be easier to continue to call out to him uh, as Lord in the dark depths. Moving on through the psalm, uh, and you might like to have it open in front of you as, as we go through it. Um, it goes on to talk about iniquities um, in the dark, deep places. It's easy to recall our shortcomings. And verse 3 calls them iniquities. Uh, all the times we have fallen short, all the times we have repaid God's goodness with a disregard for his ways and a preference for our own ways. But the, psalm, the psalmist doesn't dwell on these iniquities. Instead, he moves straight on in verse 5 to recall there is forgiveness with you. The two thoughts sit side by side in his mind. And he is someone who relies on the connection. My iniquities, my shortcomings, my rebellious ways are more than matched by the Lord's ability and willingness to forgive. And it's really the but at the beginning of verse 4 which acts like a spark to begin to bring light into the dark situation. But there is forgiveness with you. The crying out is to the one who every day dispenses forgiveness. Even in the darkest depths, if you can hold on to this, then there is a spark of light, the first flicker of hope. Moving on through the psalm, it goes on to talk about waiting. And I want to say a few things about waiting. Nobody likes waiting these days. We don't like waiting, do we? We, we, like, we like it now, really. Uh, and I think there are different kinds of waiting. There's what you might call standard human waiting. As, as we stand in our gardens uh, late at night, feeling the cold, looking at the sky, thinking the northern lights are up there somewhere, maybe the clouds will part and I will be awed by the spectacle. We wait there and we know it may or may not happen. Uh, and I might just say similarly with the number 51 bus from Sandygate into town. Uh, it doesn't matter what it says on the timetable, the bus may or may not appear. Uh, and this is waiting of the first kind. This is waiting tinged with realism and skepticism. Realism and skepticism. 
But the kind of waiting that we come across in verses 5 and 6 is different. This is waiting infused with certainty. Infused with certainty. And we've moved into the second part of the psalm here, where the writer, he stops addressing God, and he turns his attention to the congregation, to the people. He says, My soul waits for the Lord more than those who wait for the morning. And then he repeats it for emphasis, more than those who wait for the morning. And the difference is that the dawn always comes. It's inevitable. As sure as night follows day, day follows night. And it's with that certainty that we hope in the Lord to appear in our depths. We wait with a certain hope, not a vague optimism and certainly not a hardened skepticism. And what is this certain hope based on? Well, verse 5 tells us, in his word I hope. The writer looks back at how the Lord has fulfilled his promises. He has given his word and he's come up with the goods for his people Israel. They were slaves in Egypt and he rescued them. They were exiles in Babylon and he brought them home to Jerusalem. And perhaps he could recall in his own life times when God had come to his rescue. He knew even in the depths that there was good reason for a certain hope. And what's he waiting for? He's waiting for an intervention of some sort. He doesn't know what exactly, but he's hoping to be rescued from the depths of the sea, hoping for the darkness of the night to be replaced by the light of the morning. And sometimes as we wait in the depths, we do find words. Last week, as Roland was saying at 11 o'clock, looking at Psalm 13, which opens with the words, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He made the point that if you're feeling neglected by God, it's okay to ask how long. But it's important to remember that for God's people, the journey, which may be longer than we would have chosen, is one from darkness to light, from death to life. Finally, in verses 7 and 8, we have an exhortation. And he continues addressing the people, like a leader addressing the people, reminding them of an alternative reality. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, And with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Their reliance is well placed in the Lord. He has kept his word in the past. His attitude towards his people is that of love. And not just warm feelings, but steadfast love. Nothing will stand in his way. He has great power to redeem And we can anticipate that he will redeem Israel. We can anticipate that he will redeem and rescue us. That's enough of me talking for the moment. I want to show you a piece of art, which should appear on the screen behind us. There it is. Uh, 2,983 people perished when terrorists attacked uh, on the 11th of September. uh, 2001 and the Twin Towers in Manhattan 
were destroyed. And many of us will remember that day and where we were at the time we heard the news. And ten years later, a memorial in place of the Twin Towers was completed. Some of you may have been there. Um, It's a work of art by Michael Arad called Reflecting Absence. As you can see, there are vast spaces of dark, polished granite. And on the vertical walls are inscribed the names of all who died. And sheets of water flow continuously over and down into a deep pool, which in turn drains into an even deeper pool. I mean, there's profound imagery here. Loss and despair is recalled on a scale which is almost unfathomable. And this is a place not for words, but for tears that keep on flowing. It's perhaps, I was thinking, like a neat but nevertheless gaping wound which weeps but never heals. But I want you to notice two other things about the installation. Uh, If you look carefully, you can see where the wall meets the water, there is light. I mean, it's not enough to compensate completely for the black darkness, but it's a beginning. Like the first glimmers of dawn, it sits on the dark waters, a promise of things to come, the beginning of something different and better, the dawn of a new day and a fresh reality. And when Arad first had this installation built, it was a very stark one uh, with nothing around the edges. But if you look carefully, uh, you can see that there are now trees growing and there are lights in the trees. And another man, Peter Walker, added the trees, lots of elegant white oaks set in a park. And one commentator suggests that they promised to grow into an awe-inspiring cathedral of arching branches. And maybe what we have here is a representation of the dark depths from two perspectives. First of all, uh, for the psalmist and for Israel of the time, uh, people who, when in the dark places, could just sense the light of God's forgiving and rescuing intentions, a faint light on the surface of the water. But a second perspective is there for us who have known about the rescuer, Jesus coming as the light of the world, who having been put to death on the cross, rose again all for our sake and in order to demonstrate the Lord's steadfast love and great power to redeem. For us, something living and developing and with great potential is planted around the darkness We are in a better place than the Israelites who first sang this psalm. We live on this side of the Redeemer coming and doing his work of dealing with our iniquities. And you might have noticed that it's entitled, um, above verse 1 you can see it's entitled, A Song of Ascents. Scholars debate exactly what that means, but many think it was part of a collection of psalms that people sang as they climbed up the hill to Jerusalem and the temple, symbolically moving out of the deeper areas of the country and being reminded that with the Lord, the trajectory is up and out 
into the light and the knowledge of his steadfast love. I want to finish with a prayer uh, which the Apostle Paul prays for the Ethiopian not Ethiopian, Ephesian. <laughs> I knew it began with E. Ephesian believers. And he prays particularly for any, uh, I would like to pray particularly for any who find themselves in a dark place today. So let's pray together. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong and may you have power to understand as all God's people should how wide how long how high and how deep his love is, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Amen.